This episode is brought to you by Brother. I think every part of this industry, we've had to relook and recalibrate what success is, how to recognize that greatness still, but that greatness is different now. But that's, I believe, what great leaders should do. You don't just sit back and say, well, this is, this is what great looks like to me, no matter what. That doesn't work right now. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. What does it mean to have retail pride? I had the chance to sit down with the guy who wrote the book on it, literally. Ron Thurston is now author and longtime retail executive who started his career as a store associate and was able to work his way up the ranks and in some of the world's top brands. So a man who clearly has a lot of experience, expertise, and opinions on what's working in retail today and what really needs to be improved. Listen in on our chat because we dig into everything from the need for community, the need for empathy, and the need for greater alignment between the executive office, and the store. So as we think through what the future of the store will look like and how we can help shape it, it's important for us to have these conversations around leadership, community, and what it means to come together collectively as an industry. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ron, and I hope you do too. Ron, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Alicia. I'm happy to be here. So let's start a little bit about what you do in your day job. You are the vice president of stores at Intermix. Break down for our listeners, what does the typical day look like for you, especially in these crazy times we're in? Because I think your day-to-day sets a powerful foundation for a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, I think for any head of stores at any level, our days are so wild. But I would say this year has been really so people and culture and product focused they're the big components. And so this idea of how do we first and foremost ensure our teams feel safe and supported and that the customer feels safe. And then there's then this whole new level of product changing assortments, changing visual merchandising. How are people wearing things differently? What are they shopping for? So that it's become this year, even more complex. How do you drive business on lower foot traffic? And so for those of you that may not know Intermix, it is the largest multi-brand retailer, women's luxury retailer in the country, and it's part of Gap Inc. And so we have really incredible partnerships through all of our Gap partners, which has been a huge positive influence in helping us get back on our feet, keep our business going, keep the doors open, and keep the teams motivated. So it's certainly been a complex year, but my background of leading stores for brands like St. Laurent, for Apple, for Tory Burch, and I actually started my career at Gap. So I've been doing this for 25, 30 years and have such a love and a passion for the retail industry that I couldn't wait to talk more about it. 
Yeah, I love that bit of a full circle moment, right? Since you kind of started at Gap, it's a fantastic story and and definitely, I'm sure, inspiration for your new book. You added writer and author to your resume recently. Your new book, Retail Pride, The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career, it came out recently. So number one, congratulations. Thank you. Number two, a question, how did your accidental career really inspire you to put the pen to paper, so to speak, and really create something for the broader retail community. And it was, I would say, less about even my own accidental career, which I'll talk about in a minute. But it is, I would say, one of the most common kind of feedback questions that I receive as I sit down and I've interviewed thousands of people over the years, hired hundreds of them, opened dozens of stores. The conversation often starts with, oh, I kind of I ended up in retail by accident. I was working part-time during college. I studied something completely different and fell in love with retail. And it's one of the most common, it seems to be just traits of our industry is that people are in particularly field leadership roles by accident. And I, the more I heard it over the years, I kept saying it's so fascinating because there's not one particular college degree that makes you great at retail leadership. There's not one brand that makes you great at it. There's nothing that really sets the stage that says, if I studied this or worked here or navigated my career in this direction, that I'm going to be successful. And so even as I reflected on myself, I studied fashion design and retail management, but actually started my career with the intent to be a fashion designer. And that's always seemed like so fun and so glamorous and I enjoyed it. But I started, as I mentioned earlier, very accidentally working at Gap Kids. When Gap Kids was a separate part of Gap, we launched Baby Gap and I just fell in love with it. And I said, this is so much more fun. You're so engaged with the customer. You're so connected to your team. You have full responsibility for driving your business. And the more I dug into it and worked for a great brand that kind of took my career and had mentorship, had incredible training, had all these resources, I was able to grow my career and it hasn't stopped since. And I think that the term, even term accidental is part of the very intentional reason I called the book Retail Pride, because I really want to change the conversation about being proud to work in retail, even if it is accidental and that it's okay to love it. And it can be an incredible career and millions and millions of people do have it, but don't always proudly say they work in retail. And that for me set the stage for the conversation of just putting my experience into writing. So many great points that I do want to unpack over the course of this conversation. But I do have to say right off the bat, what kind of piqued my attention personally is that I kind of fell into covering retail accidentally. I studied PR and journalism. I was trying to figure out which road to take in my career and ended up at retail touch points. When if I were to grab the perfect career or role out of the sky, it would be writing for a music magazine or you know doing something more entertainment oriented. So when I first came into this role, I was like, what do you even cover for retail? Like what, like what, like what (laughs) is even like the beat or, but the more I dug into it, I saw basically how everything that I interacted with as a consumer 
there's intention, there's theory, there's strategy behind it. And I just fell in love with it. So I think kind of going into something, not fully understanding how impactful all of the the moving pieces are and what influence it has. You know, I, I think that just that whole concept just really resonated with me right off the bat. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I think the audience for the book is really everyone that works in stores that doesn't have today a resource or a language that really speaks to them. And I already in the three and a half weeks the book has been out have heard overwhelmingly like, you understand what's going on, you understand my life. But I also think just exactly to your point, there are people who will maybe see this book or hear about it at the executive level in industries that support retail and say, like, I really I get it now. After reading Ron's book, I get it now about what goes through the day in, day out field store teams that unless you've done it, it's pretty hard to imagine what that work is every day. Yeah. Well, I think just this whole notion of having pride in what you do, having pride for your brand, for your business, and what it is at a mission level, at an intention level, I guess you could say. Um, So let's dig into this concept of retail pride a little bit, because it is intriguing to me, largely because we're hearing more about mission-driven business, right? Um, And how that impacts all of the different tiers or, or levels of an organization and how that can impact customers and not just behaviorally, but their passion and love for a brand as well. So how would you define retail pride? I mean, I guess in context of this book and in context of your experience and how can you foster that pride at all levels? Because I think it it is contagious in a way, right? Like when you feel someone has pride, like it just shines through and it goes into other areas. So would love your take on what that means. I completely agree. And what motivates me so much every day is, you know, being kind of, I'm a heavy LinkedIn user poster and Every day through the LinkedIn feed, I see pictures of store teams. I see pictures from store visits from executives like myself. I see celebrations, recognition, new store openings, you name it. And those pictures are so prideful and they're so excited to do what they do every day and work with their teams. I wanted to be able to put something of like defining it a little bit. So I actually did write in the book around just creating this idea of winning culture, which creates pride. And the pillars within that are really, number one, creating a sense of belonging. Like, do you feel that you belong in this store, in this company, this customer base, whatever the product is you're selling? And I've kept that conversation to be very kind of separated. This is not about a segment within retail. This is all of retail and all price points. And I'll potentially talk a little bit more about that with you. But the sense of belonging of whatever you do creates pride. This idea of setting really big goals, because if you set a really huge goal for yourself and you achieve it, you're proud of it and you want to talk about it. And that's a big part of retail and the way retail operates in its metric achievement and we're very goal oriented we work hard to achieve us to a certain point and want to talk about it and celebrate it so set those really big goals like achieve it and that creates pride the idea of asking what's working so listening being curious spending time with teams spending time with customers every part of this business requires us understanding what's working how to pivot how to navigate a year like 2020 
but still create pride in what you do. You know, I would just share, even just this morning, I did a video call with a store in Atlanta and had my whole retail team. And we walked through the windows in the store and back of house. And the team was incredibly proud of what they do. I'm not going to see them in person this year. And so every point of like, what is working for you? How can we help you? What is your customer saying? How are they behaving? What product do you need? That level of engagement creates pride in what they do. And then just continue to recognize the greatness around you. That is a culture that I think is very often unique to retail, is that we're always looking for the greatness, providing feedback. What did you do really well today? How can we celebrate you? And I think the best leaders in our industry constantly look to recognize the greatness around them and celebrate that. So those kind of ideals, I know sound very lofty and fun and easy, but I would counter that by saying, doing that really well, like asking what's working is really a hard work if you're going to act on what you hear. And recognizing greatness around you takes a lot of work to be consistent at it and have programs in place to make that happen. And just creating belonging is a skill that not every leader has. And I wanted to be able to articulate that, that all of that combined creates this kind of winning culture, which creates pride in what we do. And you said that there's kind of a special light that shines in retail people. I think it was on your website that you say this. So you, you talked about a few things. You talked about the sense of belonging. You, you talked about asking questions and kind of building that morale among each other at the associate or individual level. But what else kind of makes up that special light, so to speak? Are there any other qualities or skills that you think are kind of innate in people that end up in retail? Or are these things that can be learned or are nurtured? I mean, I'm just trying to, especially in context of like, we're painting a picture of like, what's retail going to look like in the future, right? And, And a lot of that, I think, is driven by the people. So anything you can expand upon around like what those qualities could be or should be, I think will, would be fascinating. Yeah, of course. When I think about that special light, I think where, where it turns on is when you have this moment of recognition of I become really successful in whatever the part of the business is that I'm responsible for because I have been led well, I've been trained well, the company recognizes my work. I'm being paid fairly. All of that is often so self-taught. So you come into this business often having studied maybe something else or not studied at all. And then your work is appreciated and done well. And then that light just starts to shine. And then people really, they want more to say, I'm really good at sales, but ultimately I'd like to be a store manager, a district manager, a head of stores or more, or I'd like to pivot my career And so that's the beauty also coming from stores of saying, I'd really like to be a buyer. I'd like to work in PR. I'd like to work on the social media team and like to work in finance. This light, I think, really shines brightly because the opportunities can be so broad. They can be recognized and celebrated and just continue to be fueled. And like that hard work and just light continues to just shine brighter all the time. And I I see it, I've seen it for decades and I see it today. And this year in particular, I think we have to work a little harder to find that light, 
But what I've also recognized is that the customer's really happy to see you again in the store and that they're re-engaged and they are they are as happy to see you as you are to see them. And it's not about business, it's about those relationships. And those relationships also just create great light. Love that, love that. And I guess in terms of now, you kind of made a subtle reference to this. I could imagine that it's easy. I mean, it's easy for me. I'm not even in the store just doing the day-to-day work, but it's easy for us to kind of get lost in the negative of the now and the uncertainty and the not necessarily chaos, but the where is our work going to go today? How am I going to have to pivot? What new things am I going to have to do or learn can feel a little overwhelming, right? So do you feel like what makes that light has changed in light of this current situation or has it been strengthened or or reaffirmed? Because I I feel like on the other side of the coin, there's been this collective connection among folks in retail. I mean, even at the thought leader and analyst level, like everyone's just trying to come together and come up with solutions and share stories and, and inspire each other. Do you think that we're kind of at that point where that community building is what is helping that light shine a little bit brighter for all of us? I do. I think at the you're right, at the thought leader executive level, I even personally have never watched so many panels, been on panels, been involved in leading the industry forward because we really never had the reason or the opportunity to do it. So yes, I think we're much more engaged at the executive level. And I think at the store level, it's almost this kind of sense of putting, always put people first, but the sense of you have to put people first in this and sometimes results come second. And that if your team isn't comfortable coming to work, if your team maybe has someone that's ill at home, like the variety of different situations has been really overwhelming for them. And so that support, that the way we have to work differently and what we're celebrating is different, where we would spend a lot of time celebrating comp performance increases over last year or growing other key performance indicators. Today, we really have to celebrate culture and how we treat each other, how we show up and how we are working differently. And the hardest thing you can do to a store is saying today is that success only looks like these metrics because the metrics today are really difficult to deliver. But you could say success looks like through your customer service surveys, this is what I'd like to see. Success looks like that your team feels safe and healthy. Success is you're doing maybe more web orders out of your stockroom than you ever did before. So let's recognize that because web might be driving more of your business than it used to. So it's, I think every part of this industry, we've had to relook and recalibrate what success is, how to recognize that greatness still, but that greatness is different now. But that's, I believe, what great leaders should do. You don't just sit back and say, well, this is, this is what great looks like to me, no matter what. That doesn't work right now. Yeah, I really do think that's a great point. I think overall, it's been interesting to see how narratives have evolved, You know how people have completely changed their opinions or, or viewpoints on some of the trends that were happening in retail that maybe pivoted or shifted in importance as a result of everything that's happening now. And I, I just have to say, it's really refreshing to hear leadership insights that are led by 
associates or, or employees, right? Because I feel like there's always been this like, no, it has to be top down all the time for it to be impactful. But it seems like bottom up is a good way to ensure that you're kind of keeping your ear to the ground and are doing what matters or, or what engages your associates most effectively. Am I kind of getting that right? Or do you think that's kind of what's important? I think it's always been important, but I think that it's not always been what's been put front and forward. I believe, and my experience through different brands is the more you pay attention and spend time with and listen to what's happening at the field and that it is very bottoms up, the better the results will be. And so if I'm visiting a store, I hear a a lot of feedback, maybe not always positive, but I do something about that and I can impact change in a positive way and get that back out and say, I heard you. Thank you. This is what I've done to address the situation. This is what you will see going forward. There isn't a team around at the store level that wouldn't say, wow, like, thank you, Ron, for doing that. Like, we didn't think that was possible. Or we've said it for a long time, but we never really told anyone and you made change. And so I think that is a part of leadership that I believe very strongly in, is that you have to listen to your customer and listen to the team that's in front of the customer first, and everything else you do drives those decisions. And today, I can't think of any other way to operate than the feedback from the person standing in front of the customer. And that has evolved this year, even through the course of the last six months, it's evolved based on different cities and different things that have happened around the country. But that is a leadership skill that I think will be important for all of us in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And now a word from our sponsor. Block out the noise of 2020 and listen to what really matters in retail. Join Brother at their virtual NRF booth and learn the top three ways you can help your stores thrive this coming year including experiencing simple standalone labeling solutions, smart curbside and point-of-sale printers, and new ultra-fast barcode printers. Be sure to drop by the Brother booth for your chance to win one of 10 sets of Apple AirPod noise-canceling earbuds. I know you kind of referred briefly to your experiences at at Gap and how you fell or, or built upon your quote-unquote accidental career. But I have to ask, just your refreshing take on just the collective community of retail, how you build culture, what you try to do as a leader. I have to ask, I mean, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg type question, I guess. Like, (laughs) did your experiences in retail, like at the associate level, did you have positive experiences like this that encouraged you or influenced you to work your way up? Or was it more like as you were going up the ranks, so to speak, you kind of learned and I guess better shaped the type of leader that you would like to be in the future? Because I do want to get into some of the brands that that you have led teams for in the past, because it's a very impressive list. But I guess this is more of like a founding story, right? Like what really encouraged you to build your way up from Gap and beyond? Yeah. I'll go back, which I write briefly about in the book, but my grandfather, I grew up in South Lake Tahoe, California, which is a very small resort town. And my grandfather built like the first grocery store, the first firehouse, some of the first schools. And he was kind of this founder of the community. And then he started building Safeway grocery stores. 
And my family ended up moving to Sacramento because that's where the corporate office for Safeway was. But my grandfather led like this, what became a really large construction company as the CEO. And I traveled with him to job sites and I would watch him interact with the teams at every different kind of part of, you imagine the size of those teams when you build a grocery store and the effort that's put into that. And he had this really unique take on knowing who everyone was, knew their names, knew their families, knew things about them. And his leadership was very human and not at all what I had thought about leadership. And so I watched him and I I didn't end up working in that business. My entire family worked there except me. But I said, "I, I really want to be that kind of leader that has a connection to everyone that works in the field. And so as I started working in like part-time sales in college, as I started to grow my career from sales into keyholder and assistant managers, and I remember very clearly becoming a district manager at Gap Kids in mid-90s and had no idea what I was doing, but I knew the kind of leader I wanted to be. And so I think those of us that are lucky enough to have great examples, either personally or professionally, it really did influence the way I think about people still to this day and how I believe they want to be treated and heard and led and held accountable and all of that work. I dedicate the book to him because it really he really did set the stage of like, this is what great looks like. I hope you can live up to that expectation. And while mine was in a different industry, I hope I've done the same thing. I love that. So your grandfather was a bit of an overachiever, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Basically building a town. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that origin story. That's fantastic. So, I mean, fast forward now, right? We're kind of jumping around here. So stay with me. You've led teams for some extremely impressive brands, Apple, Tory Burr, St. Laurent. And very different worlds, I guess, categories, target customers, we're looking at the surface, but really respected brands, I feel like, ones that are lauded for their experiences, for their emphasis on the customer, and doing very innovative things in their own right. So, I mean, what do you think these brands kind of brought to the table that made working for them so exciting for you personally? And was there an immediate, like, yes, they're totally aligned with like who I see myself as, as a leader, what I want to accomplish in my role, or was it more about like the brands themselves and kind of what they brought to the table? Really just trying to understand like how you fit into these brands and how they maybe influenced how your leadership style evolved or or changed over time, because this is a pretty multi-step career story here. Thank you. And it is unusual. And I, people do wonder kind of why I've chosen different different brands and between West Coast and today I'm based in New York. I've really, once I discovered that I loved this and was good at it at the multi-store level, my intent became less about what is the product that this brand sells, but more importantly, like how do they do it and what is their culture and what where can I add value and what can I learn along those ways? So as, as I kind of left Gap after 10 years and said, I became a regional manager at, at Charlotte Russe, which at the time, this was before Forever 21 and H&M, it was really the big player in fast fashion, for lack of a better word. And this idea of I can create a culture of 
selling and well-merchandised stores and excited teams in kind of this junior apparel space, but at a really low price. And I had so much fun and I used all of my gap, like operational skills to build that. But then I said, this is interesting, but who's like the next exciting version of things happening? And I, there were also several people that I followed who were at Gap when it was in kind of its peak 90s time who went to, a lot of those people went to Apple. A lot of those people also went to West Elm um, at the time. So I've kind of chosen these brands that were changing the, the conversation about retail, changing a business model. Like West Elm really changed the business model in home furnishings and said, this is really about fashion for your home at a high touch service at really affordable prices, but really interesting kind of growing component of Williams-Sonoma. I joined Apple during the launch of iPhone 2, and Apple at the time was really leading this idea of culture in retail and service at its highest level, which they were good at, but clearly the, the iPhone and all the products since have really set this stage for best-in-class experience that's not always about driving revenue, it's about brand and about people. And what I know for a fact is the people that work at Apple love working at Apple and can't think about working anywhere else. And I love this idea of how do you continue to re-engage that and think about hiring people who are so in love with that brand. My kind of time at Tory was about setting the stage for a founder-led business that was that was really is still today about her and her life and her vision and that stores are designed after her home and there's pictures of her family on the wall and that the product is all very much about a founder-led really intimate experience that can't be really recreated any other way and saint laurent at the time when i when i joined was the pinnacle of luxury and it's creating this I wanted to create this culture of pride that for a European luxury house that didn't always exist before, that was about just making money and having great demand for your product. But can you also then create like an Apple-like culture behind the scenes for a European luxury house? And it had the pleasure to do that. And Intermix has been being able to come full circle, but think about how do you create a luxury experience in a multi-brand space that is highly merchandising-centric, highly product-centric, but highly service-centric. And so mixing all of that together. And I, to be honest, I've had the most incredible amount of fun the whole time and have been intentional in, in most cases about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. But I knew that the value that I could add to culture was a big part of why I chose brands and what I learned from those brands at the same time. Wow. I love that every step of your journey led to some sort of takeaway or action item that was very customer and brand centric. So really fascinating to hear that breakdown. And, and I'm sure these experiences, as we've talked about, really drove your goals and your intentions for your book. But I know you mentioned earlier that you spoke with a lot of people as well. So I have to ask, as you were having these conversations and as you were kind of mapping out what your book was going to be, all the different sections, I mean, 
did you kind of uncover anything in these discussions that helped you uncover new paths or, or new focal points for the final product? Because I feel like, you know, as a writer, like part of the fun is what I learn in the process, not my <laughs> preconceived vision or, or outline that I have in my head before I start. So I'm curious to, to hear if you uncovered anything new or insightful in your process. If anything, so what the way I started to tease the ideas is I started a blog several years ago and just said, I know that I have a unique point of view. I want to just see if I'm crazy or does this really resonate with people? And so I started writing and posting and the response was really positive and a lot of the same ideas that are in the book. I took it all down and said, like, this is interesting. And then I, exactly to your point, I went back and surveyed a lot of people of what are they most proud of working in retail? Who are their best leaders in their career and why? What was their toughest day in retail, which I actually ended up taking out and I think could be a, a follow-up book because there's some very interesting stories about how people have survived, including myself, some really difficult days or weeks or years in, in retail or certain situations. But there were very common threads around culture and leadership and people in the industry that were, again, not luxury-centric, contemporary, none of it. And I also sit on the board of directors for Goodwill. And what's important for me in that conversation, which leads into the rest of it is people that run stores for Goodwill are also incredibly talented store managers, district managers, vice president of stores who maybe came from traditional retail, but had a mission to do more. And now you know, their business is driven exclusively through donations. They're revenue generated from stores gets people back to work. And I wanted to be involved in that side of it because there's so much momentum that I learned from all of these surveys that people want to do more and they want to not just sell things, but they want to develop their team and bring people along. And I think often had to help each other in this industry and through networking and support and guidance. But whether it's kind of goodwill, whether it's entry-level price points, contemporary, luxury, tech, home, there are very common threads that pull all of this together. And that's, for me, was actually quite eye-opening. And I didn't, a lot of the conversations I had were with people that I knew or I had worked with or for, and a lot of them weren't. But the common response was really about retail pride. And it was a fascinating amount of data that I collected. And there are a lot of people quoted, and there are about 30 people quoted for just different, different things they had to say in the book, because I think it's also important to express that this is not just my opinion, that there, were, there are a lot of people who feel this way. It's really great to hear the connecting points or the, the common threads across the industry. And obviously, we've been talking about the importance of communication, of, of community, and how that ongoing loop, so to speak, of input is what really drives that pride and that excitement, not just around the brand, but the experience people are creating, especially at the store level. And it's an interesting juxtaposition from... I feel like what we typically hear about working at the store, right? Because I feel like 
I knew a lot of people who worked in retail, you know, in, in high school and college beyond. And a lot of people perceived it as, oh, this is part-time work or this is just a for now thing. And you kind of made reference to that as you kind of fell into retail. And there's either one, no clear path, or two, they just feel so disillusioned by like, oh, like people treat me like garbage. There's really no culture. I don't see a future for me here. So I guess not to be the down downer in this fantastic and enlightening conversation, but let's talk about the gaps, I guess, or the opportunities for improvement, because obviously workforce empowerment, workforce engagement are, are two very crucial areas of our coverage, very big topics of interest, especially right now. Where can retailers do a better job or where can they focus a bit more time, attention, and love to really create those better paths for their associates and build that community that we've been talking so much about? I think one of the biggest opportunities that happens as companies grow is that the office environment, the corporate office environment continues to expand, but the majority of those people don't come from stores. And so there's this often like misconception about what it is to work in stores, what it is to work in the office, and that they run parallel and magic only happens when they intersect. And so the more time that anyone joining any organization at any level that has a fleet of stores, whether it's two or 200, spending time in the store is where you learn the core of that brand. And I do think that from what I hear and even have experienced, that doesn't happen. And so the idea of like within your first 30 days, you will spend three days in the store, in one of our stores, and interact with customers, listen to the team, and have a morning breakfast with people, maybe do some kind of customer roundtable listening session. No matter your role in a company, you have influence on the customer and the brand. And I say that because and you can work in an office that has finance and product and planning and store operations and visual merchandising, and you have all of these departments that happen in retail. But if you don't truly understand what it is to stand in front of a customer and talk about your brand and talk about the value that it can add and the experience that you want the brand to create for you, then it's going to be really hard to lead it at the top. And the more time you can spend, I, again, I reference my grandfather who spent all of his time on the construction site as a CEO, didn't spend his time in the office. And to listen and learn and to understand what's important to people changes the entire dynamic of culture and insight and business and growth opportunities. And I know it all, it sounds, I'm describing it to sound so easy and I know that it's not. But what I can say is be very intentional about the amount of time you spend in stores and that the greatest lessons you will learn about how to change the trajectory of your business at the store level is to spend that time in the store and listen, make decisions. And this year we've had to make a lot of tough decisions, a lot of brands have, but do it in the best interest of the company and the best interest of the store team and the customer. And you might be really surprised what you learn when you do that. 
Yeah. Super important takeaway, I think. And, you know, very appropriate since we're kind of coming up at the end of our time together. And Ron, thank you again so much for taking the time out and for being so transparent and open with your responses and going on this journey with me. But to close things out, obviously that listening, that that time in the store, the time with your people is so crucial. But looking at retail in the context of now, the what's to come, the could be's, should be's, uh, you know, that I'm sure a lot of us are thinking about right now. I mean, do you have any closing action items or calls to action for your fellow retail executives listening right now? Anything that they can be doing to be a better leader or be a better voice and advocate for their employees? I know it's a very loaded question. It's probably like a whole other <laughs> conversation in and of itself, but any final takeaways that can at least get people's wheels spinning and then we'll have to have another follow-up conversation. We're happy to do that too. But empathy is a word that's used so much, I think in many different industries and books and, and everything. But the true understanding of how someone's feeling is really trying to imagine what it feels like every day to be customer facing that feeling that level of empathy, being really curious about what's happening in the business, and then putting some really clear like focus and metrics together. But it's difficult to make decisions at the top without listening to everyone around you. And to then, if you need to make tough decisions, again, which we've had to do, that you're doing it in a way that feels also empathetic, transparent, and that you've done the work, you've been curious, and that the decisions you make can ultimately benefit your brand and your team. And the, so my advice is spend a little more time listening and a little less time talking. And your teams around you, particularly those in the store, will be really grateful that you did that. Yeah. It's like that saying, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Is that, <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. That's, yeah. A good, that's, that's a good one too, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think that point around empathy, Ron, is so important. I mean, we're all trying to figure it out, right? And I mean, I personally am lucky enough to be able to work from home. Our, our team has been able to pivot quickly and still keep things moving. I know a lot of folks listening right now have been able to do the same. Others have had to deal with unprecedented risk and, and complexity, especially navigating work and home. So that mm-hmm. empathy, I think, is, is so, so crucial. Yep. Great. And learning how to work in a way that still connects you. And so that, as I had mentioned earlier, I'm not getting on a plane very much, but I'm spending a lot of time on Zoom, literally all day, because this this connection to stores and to our teams that we don't see each other every day in the office, that that can't stop. I think we all had this moment of, oh boy, like how are we going to make this work? And we have, but the work in a store hasn't changed. The traffic has changed and the business has changed, but they're still needing to engage. And so we can't take the easy route, we have to also do the work. A hundred percent. Well, Ron, this has been a real pleasure. I feel like if you let me, I would just talk your ear off for hours. (laughs) It has been a joy getting to know you, hear more of your story, and of course, get some great insights from you based on your book. Thank you again so much for taking the time. Thank you. It was my pleasure, Alicia. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take you up on that. And to everyone listening, 
Ron's book, Retail Pride, is out now. We'll be sure to include a link in our show notes so you can access and purchase it easily. Thanks again, everyone out there, so much for listening to today's fascinating conversation. Uh, This series is weekly, so if you haven't subscribed yet, please feel free to do so on your preferred podcast player. You'll get an alert when a new conversation is available. And as always, our ears and eyes are open, so if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for us for this series, or of course, for the Retail Touchpoints website, you can drop us a line at our touchpoints. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.